Well, good morning, Coastal. How are we doing today? Yeah? Doing good this morning? That's great. Hey, uh, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I am excited this morning to be able to continue in the series that we're doing on the book of Proverbs that we've titled Wisdom. You know, the book of Proverbs is full of these incredible nuggets of truth, these, these incredible wise sayings for us. And over this series, we've heard uh, some really challenging and helpful messages uh, from Pastor TJ. We've talked about uh, the issues of pride. We've talked about dealing with conflict. We've talked about um, the, the types of people that we surround ourselves with and, and the relationships that we have. Um, and I've shared with you that, that we're wise when we are fully obedient to God alone, when we trust in Him alone. Now, today... We're going, to, we're going to spend some more time in the book of Proverbs. We're going to spend a little bit more time uh, discovering the wisdom that's contained in Proverbs. And before we do that, though, before we jump right into the Proverbs, I first want to start by talking a little bit about fear. Now, some of us may be more or less fearful than others, but the reality is that, that all of us deal with fear in one way or another in our lives. All of us are afraid of something. And it's, it's kind of easy to list those real common fears that we first think about, right? We think about like, like well, well, it's the fear of heights. I'm afraid of heights. Or, or the fear of snakes. Who's with me on the fear of snakes? I hate snakes. Oh, evil creatures. Um, despise snakes. So how about, um, you know, the fear of public speaking? It's a very common fear that people have. Um, the fear of flying, I know people that, that hate flying. They will drive anywhere because they absolutely hate flying. The fear of the dark. Um, our, our worship leader, Josh, if you guys know Josh Mitchell, he might kill me for saying this, but how about the fear of spiders? You guys feel free to blow up Josh's social media with pictures of gross spiders. He will love you for it, okay? Josh hates spiders. Um, or, or my wife's favorite, the fear of sharks. Who's afraid of sharks in here? My wife's sitting over here in the second row. You guys, after service, you can meet. You can start up your, like, Sharks Anonymous group. Um, she gets nervous when we're standing on the beach, and, like, Evan's in the water, and I'm in the water, and she has to think about moving toward the water. She's like, oh, there's sharks in there. Like, you, you just see her like, okay, you know. So she's afraid of sharks. A lot of people are afraid of, of stuff like that. But the reality is that when we talk about those really common fears, it's, it's pretty easy to avoid those things. If we're afraid of those things, it, it's kind of easy to avoid flying, right? If, you, if you're afraid of flying, don't fly. If, if you're afraid of sharks, don't go in the ocean. If you're afraid of public speaking, don't be a pastor, right? There's a lot of these fears that are very common are, are pretty easy, if we're being real. They're, they're kind of easy to avoid. But what about the fears that are a lot more difficult to avoid? Like, like the fear of loneliness, the, the fear of, of not being able to pay your bills each month, the fear of, of never finding that, that perfect mate for you, that husband or that wife, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear that, that someone that you know or, or maybe that you yourself are, are going to lose your health. You know, when we turn on the TV or we, we get on some news site on the internet or you fire up social media and you look at what's going on in the world, it's not too difficult to imagine that, that many people 
are genuinely afraid of the future. And as we've been going through the book of Proverbs together during this series, I've been spending time myself reading through the book of Proverbs. And one of the interesting things that I found that I kept kind of getting stuck with is that in the book of Proverbs, there are 15 different times that it talks about the fear of the Lord. And I kept reading through this. I'm like, man, 15 times just in the book of Proverbs, it talks about fear of the Lord. And I looked a little further, and the Bible, when we take it as a whole, deals with this concept of fearing the Lord over 300 times. Now, on the insert in your worship guide, I've included a few of these verses from Proverbs. They'll also be up on the screen that talk about the fear of the Lord. Here's just a few of them. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about wisdom. And so right here in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that, that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So another verse that I found that, that, that struck me, the, the very first part of Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Proverbs 28.14 says, Blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Now, I know that, that the fear of God is not a real popular topic to talk about. And so I kind of had to ask myself, why? Why is it that we don't often hear about like why we should fear the Lord. What does this fear of the Lord really mean? If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as Proverbs 9, 10 says, then shouldn't we understand what it means? Shouldn't we understand why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? You know, I think we're, we're, we're okay talking about God as, as our good father. You know, God is our friend, and, and God is love. God is forgiving, God is merciful, God is slow to anger, and God is absolutely all of those things. But if you were to walk out of here today and, and you, know, you decide, hey, let's, let's go out for some lunch today, and you go sit down at, at your favorite place for lunch, and at some point during lunch, you strike up a conversation with somebody who's not a believer, who's not a Christian, and really doesn't know much about God, and they were to ask you, hey, uh, so, so tell me Tell me something that you, you know about God. Tell me something about God. I'm seriously doubting that any of you would lead off with, God is to be feared. You know, I, I've seen just in my lifetime, which I don't really want to admit is as long as it is, but just in my lifetime, I've seen a dramatic shift in the way that, that we talk about God. It, it almost seems like in our culture that we're embarrassed to, to really talk about this God that is as powerful as he is. And because God himself, he speaks so boldly about himself, telling us that, that we should fear him, that it kind of rubs us the wrong way. It goes against the grain. You know, we tend to stick to those attributes that, that we can list about God that, that would be kind of on the, on the nice, good, reassuring side of things. You know, nobody would be persuaded to become a Christian if, if God's to be feared, right? It's... It's not politically correct to talk about a God who is to be feared when, when we live in a culture that's constantly seeking that political correctness and seeking to, to find the safe spaces in which we can have our conversations. 
And I think a lot of churches and, and a lot of Christians even, they, we, we water down what the Bible says about this fear of the Lord by saying something that it kind of sounds very academic. And we say, well, you know, the, the fear of the Lord simply means that we are to have a great respect for God and awe for our Creator. Now, I think it's a whole lot more than just awe and respect. And the first blank, if you guys are filling the blank people that's in, in your worship guide, I said it this way. I said, true wisdom is understanding how absolutely powerful and terrifying God is. True wisdom is understanding how absolutely powerful and terrifying God is. Now, I don't have to be the one to convince you to fear the creator of the universe. Because one day, each one of us is going to stand before him. We're going to see God, and we are going to be afraid. And I want to talk about that this morning, because, because there's actually benefits to understanding what this means. You know, just looking at, at the verses that we've shared so far, if we look at it, I read um, from Proverbs 19.23, and, and it says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And then in Proverbs 28.14, it says, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord. So if, if that's true, then we need to discover what the benefits are. And once we understand what this means, once we understand what it truly means to fear the Lord, it's going to have huge, huge impact on every aspect of our faith. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time doing today. But before I share some of these benefits, I want to try and show you some examples from Scripture that hopefully will open our hearts and minds to this concept of fearing the Lord, because, because we're not the first ones that are going to experience this. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, it tells us of the moment when Isaiah is commissioned by God as a prophet. And it's during this encounter that he sees the Lord. So in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And we, we use some haze during worship, and we like to rattle the building. But I have a feeling this was a little bit different when they shouted this, holy, holy, holy. And, and it says that the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And here's what Isaiah says. He says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Isaiah's response when he sees the Lord, it isn't a response of, of Oh, I, I feel so accepted and I feel so peaceful and I feel his arms wrapping around me in reassurance. What did he say? He cried. Scripture says he cried, Woe to me! I'm ruined! That was his response when he sees the Lord. 
You know, another story from Exodus chapter 34, this is when Moses actually meets God on the mountain. He goes up onto the mountain, and this is when he receives the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. And so as Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, these two stone tablets, he, his face, like his actual face is glowing. It's, it's shining because of his meeting with God. And so as he's walking down, these people that see him then, it says in chapter 34 of Exodus, it says they were afraid. So the mere reflection of God's glory on Moses' face causes the people who see Moses to be afraid. In Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 9, we, we come in here. This is one of the, the most common and popular stories in Scripture because it's part of the Christmas story. It's part of the birth story of Jesus. And, and the part that I'm going to read here, this is, do you remember the part after Jesus is born and the angels come to the shepherds out in the fields? Verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. So, so just the glory that's shining around the angels fills the shepherds with fear. And one more that I think is just really neat is from Revelation chapter 1, and this is the Apostle John. And John is telling of an experience that he has while he's on the island of Patmos. And starting in verse 10, John says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its glory, all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He fainted. It says, I fell at his feet as though dead. When John sees the Son of Man, Jesus, he falls at his feet as though dead. You remember, John was one of Jesus' disciples. John spent time during Jesus' life, witnessing his ministry. He saw the miracles. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He witnessed the miracles. He saw the crucifixion. He, he knew that Jesus had raised again, and he knew that Jesus had now ascended into heaven. And although John knew all of that, in this encounter when he sees God, he faints. He still fainted in his presence. You know, each of these biblical stories, I'm telling these because they help us to see how an encounter with the absolutely powerful and terrifying God filled them with fear. I was trying to think as I was looking at these, like, what, what is that time in my life where I have felt the most fearful? And I thought back to a time about 20 years ago when my wife and I thought it'd be a great idea to learn how to skydive. And so we both went once, and we kind of got the bug, and we decided, let's go again. Um, let's go, we have to go like five times with a tandem master strapped to our back, and then on the sixth time, we can go by ourselves. And so it was on the third jump, 
that I've got the tandem master strapped to my back, and each time we jumped, we got to do a little bit more. You got to do more and more and more of the responsibility. So I had an altimeter on my wrist, and my job was to watch our altitude. At 5,500 feet, I was supposed to wave my arms, and then I'm supposed to flash 5,500, and then I was supposed to pull the ripcord. That was my job. And so at 5,500 feet, I waved off, I flashed 5,500, and I pulled the ripcord, and nothing happened. And I checked again to make sure I had actually pulled the ripcord, and I had the ripcord in my hand, and it was not attached, just like he said it was supposed to look. But nothing had happened. We're still falling. Now, I didn't know that the chute had actually come out of the pack, but it hadn't inflated. It was called a streamer, so it just kind of came up in like a little wad, and it was wrapping around one way, because the wind was rushing by, so it was twisting. And so the Tana Master is spinning us the other way to kind of counter the spin, and eventually we, we untangle the chute enough that it actually fills up with air. Obviously, I'm here today. The chute opened. But I landed that day, and Katie landed that day with her tandem master, and they're like, woo, that was awesome! And I'm like, white as a sheet. Like, did you have a great jump? And I was like, nope, I'm about to barf. Right? Like, all the adrenaline was finally kind of hitting me. That was the most fearful thing that, one of the most fearful things I can remember is that, that moment, like, like 15 seconds of, I'm going to die. The ground is coming at me. I pulled it. Nothing's happening. And now I can't do anything about it because I'm not wearing a parachute. The tandem master behind me is wearing the parachute. I'm completely out of control. I've done everything I can do. That was one of the most fearful moments of my life. But it still doesn't really compare to these stories in Scripture of, of being in the presence of God Almighty and seeing His power. You know, so maybe we can understand God better if, if we kind of contrast God to to us, to humans. Because man is all of these things and we're none of these things. Isaiah tells us that God is the first and chief being. We're not. We are created beings. Genesis tells us that God is the creator of all things. We've created nothing. Acts tells us that, that God needs nothing and therefore he owes nothing to anyone. But see, everything that we have is because of him, even our very breath. Leviticus tells us that God is holy. We're not holy. Job shows us that God is our judge. And not only is he our judge, but, but he is holy and perfect. So therefore, that means his justice is perfect. We're not very just. We can't seem to get out of our own self-centered ways when we try and make decisions. John says that God is love. I mean, we have a hard time just loving our neighbor. Daniel teaches that God is absolutely sovereign. We're not sovereign. We're totally helpless. In fact, Psalm 103 says, I'm sorry, Romans 5 says that we're a slave to sin. Deuteronomy teaches that God is eternal. We're not eternal. We're mortal beings. And Psalm 103 says, and our days are like grass. You feel a little smaller after hearing that list? You should. We should all feel a little bit small when we compare ourselves to God. And the reason that this is so important is because fearing God, like I said earlier, it actually benefits us. The fear of God is going to have benefits for us. It'd be easy, I think. It'd be, it'd be so simple to understand this idea of fearing God if, if we could all just spend five seconds in front of our Creator. Because I think in those five seconds, we would understand without a doubt, we, we would be struck by absolute power of God and our absolute powerlessness. I think that in those five seconds, we would be struck by his absolute strength and our absolute weakness, his holiness and our sin. In that moment, though, 
this beautiful thing would happen. This is the first benefit that I've listed in your notes. This is this beautiful thing that will happen. When we understand why we should fear God, we're also going to understand that we have nothing else to fear. Don't, don't miss that. When we understand why we should fear God, we'll understand at that very moment that we have nothing else to fear. That moment that we begin to put God in his proper place and we begin to fear him, he turns the tables on us and he says, fear not. Remember that story of John on the island of Patmos that I read earlier? John wrote, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now look what immediately follows. This is what happens right after that. It says, then he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. Or how about in Luke, when the, the, shepherds, uh, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. You know, once we begin to understand this, this concept of, of the fear of the Lord, then we'll start to understand that there's no other fear that can compete with God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. See, fearing God is not the same thing as having a spirit of fear or living your life in fear. And that's the second benefit, because fear keeps us from living. The fear of God gives us life. Fear keeps us from living, but the fear of God gives us life. You know, all those fears that I talked about at the beginning this morning when we talked about loneliness, rejection, failure, and, and things like that, those have no power. They have no power once we fear God. You know, once we fear God, the one who's worth fearing, he says, don't be afraid. But when, when God is not correctly understood, his, his purpose is often uh, misunderstood, and it's often seen that, that God is the one who kind of offsets our fears. But we need to remember, God's not the one that offsets our fears. God is far more terrifying than the fears of, of this world. You know, God is, he's not merely the opposite of evil. He's not the, the enemy of our enemy. He's not the, the anti-venom for the evil one. He's not the antidote to sin. It's much, much more. A friend of mine that, uh, that I met when my wife and I were working out in California, she's been posting recently, really for the last couple months, very regularly, she's been posting about her nephew, who's, I think he was seven years old, and he was out hiking with his father, and he got bit by a rattlesnake. And he spent um, like over a month in the hospital. He, he has had multiple surgeries. He received, last time I heard, he'd received over 20 vials of rattlesnake antivenom. Now, was the antivenom necessary? Yeah. Did it, did it help to stop the damage of the venom? Well, of course it did. But the antivenom didn't cure her nephew. It didn't reverse all of the damage that was done. You know, it, it kind of, it drives my wife crazy because I like to watch all these shows. They're kind of like the documentary uh, shows about police officers, like who's cops? Who likes cops? Anybody cops? Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? TJ does rap, I do cops theme song. 
Um, but I love shows like Cops. I like shows that follow paramedics around or firefighters. I like watching the shows that are taking place in a real-life trauma center, and you're seeing like what they're going through. And, and oftentimes on one of those shows, they'll show like a, a person who's, who's overdosed on drugs. A lot of times it's a heroin overdose. And this person is, is literally on the verge of death. And then a, a paramedic or a nurse, they administer this drug called, I think I'm saying it right, naloxone. And, and naloxone, within moments, counters the effects of the heroin. And you see this person who was on the verge of death, and now, really, they're going to be fine. Like, the, the overdose, basically, is, is over. Put simply, naloxone is the antidote to the heroin overdose. And as amazing as these antivenoms for snake bites are, and as amazing as, as antidotes are, they're an insufficient comparison to our understanding of who God is. And that's the third benefit of understanding the fear of God, is that God is not the antidote. He's the cure. You see, antivenom certainly helped my friend's nephew. But like I said, there were still multiple surgeries, months of pain, and long-term physical therapy that's going to have to take place. Naloxone may be the antidote to the heroin overdose, but it doesn't take away the addiction. It doesn't repair the broken relationships left in addiction's wake. You see, when we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. But the truth is that the world's threats are temporary. And when we just expect God to balance the fears of the world, we, kind of, we reduce him to the world's equal. When he's not the equal, he's not the antidote, he's the cure. Now, remember that God is the creator of all things. He created the world, and so all of the, the, the whole world and all of its worries submit to him. Now, I want to close with, with one last reason why I believe the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's because without a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord, then we don't really understand the power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was a, a freshman in high school, going way back, I sort of stumbled into tryouts for, for the boys' volleyball team. Um, I, had, I, had, I had broken my hand, uh, two bones, I, one in my finger and one down in my hand, the day before basketball tryouts. And as a kid who'd grown up playing a sport every season of the year, like I played soccer, then I played basketball, then I played baseball, and that was like my year-round thing, I was finding myself, by the spring of my freshman year, I was pretty bored. And so I don't think that I even knew that my high school had a boys' volleyball team. It wasn't like the most popular sport. But I saw some flyer in the hallway, and I thought, well, hey, I'm bored. I'll give it a shot. I had never played volleyball except like at the backyard party where there's like no rules. I didn't even know there were rules to volleyball. I thought I just did whatever you wanted to get the ball over the net. But so I find myself at this, at this first day of volleyball tryouts, and I remember the first day. I was this 14-year-old kid. Now, I was tall at 14. I've always been kind of tall, but, but man, I was like right in the middle of trying to go through puberty. Like I was just a goofy, like I hadn't quite figured life out. My body was changing. And so I come in as a 14-year-old kid, and on the other side of the net are these full-grown men, right? These are the guys that like, they're 18-year-old seniors who've been playing volleyball for years. They're, they're, they're fully mature. They know how to play the game, and they're already on the team. And so in tryouts, I'm sitting there like 14-year-old child, 18-year-old men. They know what they're doing. I have no clue. 
And there's this one guy in particular that struck fear into me. His name was Justin. I can, t- I can see his face right now. He was a super cool guy, but I didn't know this at the time. See, I had already seen what Justin could do. I had seen one kid leave tryouts already because he got crushed in the face by one of Justin's spikes. Like his entire face was beat red. His eyes were like almost full and shut because like, he just got hit so hard with his volleyball. I saw another kid leave with a broken finger because he tried to go up and block one of Justin's kills. And so I'm like, man, this guy is incredible. And he was good. Justin went on to to play volleyball on scholarship in college, and then I heard that he even went on and played professionally in Italy. If you didn't know they had professional volleyball in Europe, join the club. So anyway, this guy, though, he was so strong and so athletic and so skilled in this sport that I was not, that, that he, he would, if you made a mistake, he would make you pay for it. The worst thing that you could do if you were on the other side of the net from Justin, which in tryouts, that's where the coach has you. You're always on the other side of the net from Justin. And the worst thing that you can do is to, to miss hit the ball. It's a bad pass or it's a bad set, and so that ball starts floating over to Justin's side of the net. And when that ball would float over to Justin's side of the net, he would rise up with like this ridiculous vertical leap. He would float in the air for what seemed like an eternity. And as he reached back and crushed the ball back at your face, he would yell, boom! Like he'd yell it as he hit it. And it would just straight down off the floor, way up in the air. If you were lucky, it hit the floor and not you. And it was like an intimidating, he'd just be like, boom! It scared all of us. Now, During the three days of tryouts, fear. I did not want to be anywhere near Justin, and I certainly didn't want to give him that perfect setup to crush it back at my face. But then, all of a sudden, something happened. Something changed. I made the team. Now, all of a sudden, I wasn't afraid of Justin anymore because Justin was on my team. And it became really interesting to me that that all of those booms that we were afraid to receive in tryouts, we would be sitting on the bench, because I was a freshman, so I'm sitting on the bench, I'm watching the game, and we would would see the other team mess up, and this ball would start floating over the net, and we could tell it was going to Justin. And with this anticipation, all of the little bench warmers, we'd start standing up, and we'd yell for him as he hit. We'd go, boom! And we'd just watch him crush the ball on these other kids. What... What changed? Nothing, nothing about Justin had changed. He was the same, did the same thing. What changed was that Justin was now on my team. And that's the last thing that I want you to understand here is that, see, we have the creator of the universe on our team. The creator of the universe is on our team. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. You know, when we talk about living wisely, we talk about understanding 
the fear of God in a healthy and positive way. It's the foundation upon which we can build a life of wisdom. Because when we understand the fear of God, we now understand who God is. And we understand who we're not. We understand, though, that, that we have nothing to fear and that this terrifying power that God holds is now on our side and is available to us, ready for us to use. You guys pray with me? God, this morning we, we come to you and it's such a difficult concept sometimes for us to, to try and wrap our minds around the fact that you're a God that is so powerful that when we're in your presence, we feel so powerless that there's a, there's, it knocks us off kilter. There's a, there's a real fear. But you also so clearly tell us that it's in the moment that we realize that that we no longer have to be afraid. And some of us, God, we live our life with fear that's holding us back. And I just pray, God, for those that, that are allowing some area of their life, some area of fear to hold them back from living the kind of life that you have planned for them, God, I pray that you would break through, that we would understand we have nothing to fear anymore from you. And some of us, God, maybe we're sitting here this morning realizing that, that we've never fully trusted in you because, because of fear, because we don't know what that means when we let go. We don't know what that means when we accept you as our Savior and we step back and submit to your will in our life. But God, that's what you call us to do. You call us to submit to you because once we submit to you, we submit to the one thing which we no longer have to have any fear for. Lord, help us this morning to submit to you. Help us this morning to no longer be afraid. Help us to know that it's through you that we have all the power that we'll ever need. We pray this in Jesus' name.